when you're talking about moral injury, we're talking about a wound of the soul. Um, when you witness or participate in something that goes against your own moral uh, belief or your own moral structure or scaffolding. That's really what I think is impacting so many veterans. And everyone's being, I shouldn't say everyone, like most people are being treated for post-traumatic stress with medications like I was. So I was on antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. I was on sleeping pills. And at the same time, I was self-medicating with alcohol and abusing illegal drugs and prescription drugs. So just to give you an example, like because I was in a state of, I don't really care what happens to me. Like, I don't really care if I live or die anymore. There's just like kind of this apathy for life. Um, I would, you know, take a couple ambient and then go out drinking with my friends and just like, yeah, see what happens. You know, <laughs> like I just did not care. care, you know, wherever I would wake up and be like, oh, like, how am I going to get home? You know, like, so it would be uh, those types of situations like that. I mean, I lived like that for almost 10 years. Hey everyone, happy to have you back with us this week for another episode of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Today we're in Ventura, California with Tom Voss, who goes by the handle The Meditating Vet, which of course we love. <laughs> we love. Tom is an Army veteran who served on active duty from 2003 to 2006. In 2004, after 20 months of training with his unit, Tom was deployed to Mosul, Iraq, where he experienced Operation Iraqi Freedom via hundreds of combat missions, area clearance operations, humanitarian relief operations, security patrols, raids, and convoys. This is where Tom sustained what is known as moral injury, the very damage that fueled Tom to change his life before he ended it and set off on a 2,700-mile journey across the country on foot. And I think that's probably just a fertile place to jump right in. Totally, so, yeah. Tom, thank you so much for thanks. having us up here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, and totally staying in flow with us because this is like a last minute putting it together like right up until like 15 minutes ago when I was like, okay, we're coming. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you. But, I mean, that's you're walking the the yogi path now. You're You're – you're the meditating vet, so you know that this ability to stay flexible and in flow with, you know, this ocean of motion that right. we live in is really important, and we never know what that ocean of motion is going to serve us up. So yeah. let's just, let's dive into your, let's, I don't even know where to start. Where, <laughs> why don't you just go, and sure. we'll see what, what that is. Yeah, let's just start from the beginning. I mean, as you said, I, I joined the military when I was 19. I, I was active duty Army from 2003 to 2006, and then ended up deploying to Mosul, Iraq from 2004 to 2005. And if you can recall that time period, that's when a lot of the, the heavy fighting started in Iraq. You know, there was the initial invasion, and then after that, things really ramped up, and that's when Fallujah was going on and all that kind of stuff. So um, through the 12 months that I was there, one our platoon sergeant was killed in action. One of our squad leaders was killed in action. Um, and that in itself, uh, along with, you know, just the, the traumas of war had a, had a really deep impact on me. And, um, you know, as a 20 year old, it's, um, a lot to take on. And, uh, and at that time when you're in these situations, you don't really have time to process anything that's going on. Cause you're on call 24 seven, you know, I was in the infantry and specifically I was in a scout sniper platoon. So my job was reconnaissance. So a lot of uh, intel gathering and working in teams of two and three 
um, soldiers, and we'd go out into the city, collect information, try not to get uh, you know spotted, and then come back in and relay the information that we gathered. So it was very um, um, you know tense tense time to be there, and uh, you know every day you're under threat. So attacks, uh, vehicle-borne uh, improvised explosive devices. Um, IEDs, improvised explosive devices, you know, car bombs, ambushes, mortar attacks. Um, so this was like a regular occurrence for us while we were there. And then as soon as you, um, you know, lo- start losing your friends, it becomes uh, real, real, real quick. And, um, you know, just uh, getting used to that environment in itself is uh, pretty terrifying. I mean, how, you're just in you're just in survival mode. Yeah. So you're just switched into the you know the fight or the flight. Yeah, correct. And probably a little bit of freeze is happening too, like stuff yeah. just getting pushed down into the vault. So what really interesting thing that that happens, at least that happened with me, and I think it happens a lot with a lot of uh, veterans or or people who have been deployed, is there's a time where you have to accept your own death, and you have to say, I'm gonna die here. Like that, I remember that rising up in me. And before that, I was just terrified. You know, you're going out and once we got hit with our first car bomb and, you know, you start getting attacked, you have to come to the realization that it's a real possibility that you're not going to go home. You're not going to make it home. You're not going to see your friends anymore. You're not going to see your family. So you have to accept the fact that you are going to die. And once you do, once I did that and once that happened, it was really a freeing experience for me because then I could operate freely in this environment. I could do my job because... I had the mentality of like, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, I protect to the guys to the left and right of me and that they, they can get home at least. And I think everyone kind of switches into that mentality and you're almost like, you know, a dead man walking. You're like, I can be an effective soldier now. I can go into these situations knowing that, you know, there could be a high probability that I'm not going to make it home. So you can kind of operate freely in those situations then. It's so nuts because there's such a gift in this surrender to death. Right. Because we're all going to die. Right. We're all going to die. Everyone's ticket is punched. Exactly. And we, you know, our soul, I think our souls know it somewhere deep inside. We know it, but then we're hardwired Mm -hmm. as these humans to survive, to avoid death at all costs. So to have yourself in a situation where you surrender to that, I can see the freedom, but there's no freedom at all Right. because you're, you're being told what to do, when to do it. Right. I'm sure we're going to get into the documentary, but Almost Sunrise, which is the documentary about your story about this truck across the country. You know, when we got on the phone and we talked, I was like, dude, that was an intense <laughs> documentary because you gave, you give the viewers this glimpse of like how when you're commanded to do something, it it gets executed, yeah. whether that's leaving somebody on the side of the road, whether that's, you know, going in and, and, right. and fighting back or whatever it is. And so there's, there is no freedom there. Right. But then you're fighting for freedom. It's a huge conflict. I mean, but it's like, you know, the mentality in the military is, you know, you have intense discipline and that, that discipline is instilled within you so that you keep people safe, right? Because if you don't, you know, you lose command can, and control of people and everyone's just off doing their own thing. That's when people get hurt and that's when people get killed and that's when accidents happen. So it's very important, you know, that you do, you know, respect the, the hierarchy of the rank system and all that kind of stuff just so we can all 
you know, survive in those situations and, you know, as best as you can. And yeah, sometimes you get orders that are, that are like, okay, maybe that wasn't the right call. But if in that moment, you know, that was what you were told to do. And sometimes that's running down a road where, you know, you're getting shot at from and you're, everything in your body is like, this is (laughs) this, you know, you're running towards gunfire essentially. So, um, it's a, it's a, you know, from the human perspective, it's a huge conflict, right? And it's like, we're not trained, you know, to do that or we're not, um, inherently, you know, run towards danger, but we have to train ourselves to do that in the military and in the infantry to like, that's our job. Like, where's that gunfire coming from? Let's go towards it. I feel like the training, the training, you're doing the training, like you're doing the mental training, you're doing the physical training to lead up to this experience. I think the missing piece is that ability to let go that you did. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think they do that in, they can't do that in training, right? Yeah. So you have to come to it at your own experience. And the guy next to you has to do it at his own timeline. Yeah. And then the next guy next to him. And I'm sure experiences like this war that you were in, everybody was sort of coming into it yeah. more quickly than they would in a normal oh, totally. environment. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's like, you know, you're in a pressure cooker, essentially. So you're, everything's enhanced and sped up. And, you know, it's people who aren't in that situation you know, they might go their whole life and never accept their own death, you know, and they're struggling to the end, you know, to the end and they have regrets and all that kind of stuff. And I think once you really understand that these bodies will disintegrate, you know, they'll turn to dust, you know, and that's the reality of our, our situation is that they're going to fail us at some point, you know, and some of us in, in the worst case scenarios, they might even become uh, our prisons towards the end. So it's like, we really have to, use them while we can and, and honor them and take care of them. And it's really, you know, that's something I, I feel really fortunate about reflecting back on this time is I feel really fortunate that I was able to come to that conclusion at, at 20 years old where it's like, okay, like this isn't, isn't going to happen. You know, this isn't going to go on forever. Um, and you know, you have to be in that moment. Otherwise you miss it. Yeah. And, you know, the Gita, I'm sure you've read the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. and the Gita, I may be misquoting it, but to the effect of, you know, the wise, for them, when the soul leaves the body, it's no different than just changing, getting rid of an old coat. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's all it is. And so you realizing that at age 20, and I'm assuming that's something that, that surrender, that understanding, you haven't lost that yet. Oh, no. No. no, no and no. I don't think you ever will. No. You surrender I, to death. It, it's, it's a really, um, when you really do it and you really accept it, you know, it's accepting it is what it is. It's like you can acknowledge it and be like, yeah, I'm going to die one day. But once you, you know, surrender to that fact. And you're that, okay with it. Yeah. And that you're okay with and it. you're not scared of it right? anymore. Yeah. And you can, then you can kind of move a lot freer in the world because you have a lot more appreciation for your life because this life has an end point, right? Has a beginning and end point. And, you know, what you do in between that is what really defines you and, and really, um, you know, you can live it to the fullest or you can, you know, not acknowledge it and struggle. And there's so many people that live in fear Mm -hmm. and the kind of fear that just, it's that kind of fear that keeps you from living. The fear that you experienced at war was keeping you alive because you were Mm -hmm. fighting back. Right. But there's, you know, you're a trail runner and we'll get into that whole thing. I mean, God, like you're, you're vegan, you're, you're (laughs) alcohol free, you're a trail runner. We're still in the beginning of the story here, but there's so much to cover. Yeah. 
as a trail runner, um, being out there, I hear a lot of talk about people being fearful of the trails and being a woman. I right. run, I run alone on the trails because right. I, BJ will say like, are you running with the group? I'm like, no, I just need to be out there alone. I just need to be out there. And I was six hours on Sunday on the trail and just connecting mm-hmm. with mother nature and knowing that if I'm supposed to go in mother nature, then I'm going to be at peace. I'd rather prefer that actually. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Just being at peace because, you know, it's, um, and I learned this when I was over in India with with some Tibetan Buddhists that, you know, it's like live every day. Like it's like you're preparing to die, like not where it's morbid, but that you're living fully. Yeah. And you're not living from fear. Yeah. 100% 100% agree with you. So we have a common buddy, Mike Ergo, who we just, he's such a brother. We love him so much. And one of the things that I remember from his podcast is that, you know, his thing when he came back from war was like, he never expected to live. Right. And so to come back, he hadn't even begun to try and figure out what that was <clears> going <throat> to look like. So how, did you have a similar, did, were you, did you kind of, sur- I mean, so you surrendered to it, but did you really believe that you were going to die over there? Yeah. I, I mean, I did. Uh, there, we had, you know, military kind of has a morbid sense of humor because that's the only thing you can really have to kind of cope with the, the stresses of the situation. So we'd always have kind of a running tally of like, you know, like cats have nine lives. You know, we'd always have a like tally of who is, has almost died the most, you know, in, in these situations. So like within the platoon, we, we had those, those kind of competitions going and there's a, you know, there's a time where I, I took uh, RPG shrapnel, which is a rocket propeller grenade shrapnel to the head and got knocked unconscious. And that was like one of my closest calls. And, you know, like an inch, if my head were tilted an inch higher, it would have ca- caught me across the neck. So there are situations like that that are happening, you know, on a daily basis where all you can do is just like, you know, glad to have you back kind of a thing and like pat your buddy on the head and, you know, glad to have you here. Um, so yeah, there's a real, um, acceptance of like, you know, there of, of death and, and how real it is. And you, you see it on a daily basis when, you know, civilians are unfortunately caught in between, um, you know, us and the, the, the combatives that we were fighting against. And, um, you know, all you can do is offer, you know, the support that you can do, you know, at that time. So yeah, it was a real, um, you know, it was kind of a real wake up call to life and how fleeting it is. And I think that's one of the, one of the main struggles I came back with is, um, you know, the realities of war and to go back to Mike's, Mike's comment and not expecting to come home, you know, that's kind of ingrained in you in the military that it's, you know, it's honorable to die on the battlefield. And it's really throwing your life on the line for, you know, the, your country, uh, for the people here is a very honorable thing. And, you know, you're honored if, if you, if you, uh, die in combat. So, so when you don't, so when you die, yeah. So when you don't, is there you know, shame that you well, carry? You think? <clears throat> for me, there's a, I had a lot of survivor's guilt Um, there's a lot of shame and grief and these are the, the qualities of moral injury, um, versus post-traumatic stress disorder, which is our, uh, my, uh, explaining is a lot more physical conditioning, uh, being in a dangerous situation for an extended period of time, your nervous system, like you said, the fight or flight mode switches on and that's hard to turn off when you come home. So you're having a lot of people coming out of these situations, coming home, and they just keep, there's no way to turn it off because so, the nervous system doesn't right. recognize that the threat right. is gone. Right, exactly. Because they're just shopping in Walmart. Right. So like, so what I've under understood from 
diving, doing kind of a deep dive into moral injury is that I believe they run parallel to each other. So you have post-traumatic stress, which is like the physical conditioning, which is like flashbacks, um, you know, uh, panic attacks, sleeplessness, you know, those types of things. Um, and moral injury is the grief, the guilt, the shame, um, those things can't be medicated away. So that's where your processing happens. So you come home and you're suffering from symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And then here comes moral injury when you're able to sit back and start processing. What did I participate in? Um, was I justified in the things that I did and the things that I saw? You know, what did we do there? The political climate of that time, what did I participate in during that? Was I justified? So these are questions that I started asking myself maybe two years after I came home. And that's where the suffering starts because, you know, like, what could I have done better? You know, how could I have done something differently that wouldn't have ended up with my friend being killed? You know, these situations that you have no, no control over, right? You can't change these things in the past, but still the mind goes there and says, you know, you could have done this better. You could have trained a little harder. You could have, and you start beating yourself up over these things that you had no control over. So coming back to that present moment is the key, is the the key yeah. element here. Yeah. Where, where when you're in the when you're in the battle in the war, you're completely focused. You're in the moment. Hundred percent. Now you shift environments. Yep. Now you're in a completely different place, and and you lose that ability, or it's not as prevalent. Right. And and you're not as aware in right. the moment. So. I guess we're going to get there, but how do you come, how are you pulling yourself back? Yeah, it's, um, it's really, really challenging because I think one of the, one of the problems that military veterans face is some people, this is going to be the pinnacle of their lives. This high point going to a different country, fighting in a war, there's, you know, less than 1% of the population serves in the United, you know, in the United States military. So you have this extreme, intense, dangerous situation, you know, at kind of the prime, you know, you're in your early 20s and you come home and it's going from like 100 miles to like four and you look for ways to find meaning in your life because there you're serving your country, you're protecting, you know, civilian population. It's extremely meaningful. You know, you're helping, you know, the men and the women to the left and the right of you, making sure that they can come home. So it's like really high stakes. Um, and then you come home and it's not like when I came home, like I remember the only job I could find because at that time no one was hiring any military people because of post-traumatic stress. And everyone's like, Oh, they're just going to come and shoot the place up. So like I find myself working for the Wisconsin state fair security third shift, you know, protecting quote unquote, protecting the main stage from drunk people, essentially from 11 PM till 6 AM or 6 AM or something like that. So it's like, well, you know, I was just in a war zone, you know, fighting for my country. And now I'm sitting here wearing a security hat. <laughs> so it's like hot contrast. Hot. Yeah. It's extreme. So, so then on top of that, so you're losing all your meaning and well, purpose. And, and you're be, it's being reinforced that you're not worthy. Right. And that you're broken and that you're, you know, mm-hmm. dangerous. And it kind of feels like you're being pushed aside and discarded. And, um, so we were trying to figure, and I was 21 when I got out. Uh, so you're trying to find meaning in your life and you're trying to find purpose and you're trying to find 
connection. And that's really difficult. I, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, so there's no active duty military base there. There's uh, National Guard and Reserve, but they only meet, you know, once every month or something like that. So here I'm coming back out of active duty military, active duty army, and I'm sitting on my mom's couch, like, what, what am I, what am I going to do now? You know, how am I going to find purpose? How am I going to find meaning? And it took me, you know, a long time and I really struggled and, and crashed and burned a lot. And I ended up, uh, you know, coming home, getting my own apartment and enlisting in, in school full time and getting a full time job as well. And that's only because that's what I felt I needed to do. Like that was what was expected of me. All my friends were graduating college. I'm like, oh, I got to I gotta graduate college. I got to hurry up and catch, and up, catch yeah. up with all my peers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Was there this feeling like you were behind? <clears throat> yeah, totally. I was behind. And um, I, I had this experience too that I just started packing away because I was like, I have no one to relate to. Like I have no one I can talk to about this because everyone just kind of stares at me. You know, like I can't explain to them, you know, the horrors of war because they, you can't, you can't just, uh, describe it to people, right? It's the experience of it is sometimes so horrific that it's like, you know, how do you, how do you even begin to comprehend, you know, the, what human beings are able to do to each other. So you have all this and it's all internalized now. It took me about two years and then I started processing it. So like, okay. Like, what happened? You know, what did I do? What did I participate in? You know, and there's another element, too, that adds on to the grief and the guilt and the shame. And I think that's it's very prominent in, in Western culture. Uh, because I was raised Catholic, I have all these, you know, internal mechanisms that are like, you know, you're a bad person now. So that's, again, coming from a moral standpoint, moral injury, you know, the very first thing you learn as, as a child is not okay to take another person's life. So, okay. So now I'm in a situation where I have to do that or I'm dead. So, you know, that, that type of stuff, it needs to happen in, in war. Otherwise, you know, you lose your life. So now I'm, you know, violating my own moral code as a, as a human being. And I'm trying to justify what I did now that I'm outside of the, the military culture and I'm not in it where it's like, you know, yeah, totally. That's what we have to do. Yeah, You're back in the world where right. it's not okay to take where another life. Where it's not okay. So you're trying to justify that with yourself. And, you know, you can only say, yeah, I, I had to do what I had to do so many times to yourself until you're just continually analyzing it. So when you're talking about moral injury, we're talking about a wound of the soul. Um, when you witness or participate in something that goes against your own moral uh, belief or your own moral structure or scaffolding. That's really what I think is impacting so many veterans. And everyone's being, I shouldn't say everyone, like most people are being treated for post-traumatic stress with medications like I was. So I was on antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. I was on sleeping pills. And at the same time, I was self-medicating with alcohol and abusing illegal drugs and prescription drugs. So just to give you an example, like, because I was in a state of, I don't really care what happens to me. Like, I don't really care if I live or die anymore. There's just like kind of this apathy for life. Um, I would, you know, take a couple ambient and then go out drinking with my friends and just like, yeah, see what happens. You know, <laughs> like I just did not care. care. 
you know, wherever I would wake up, I'd be like, oh, like, how am I going to get home? You know, like, so it would be uh, those types of situations like that. I mean, I lived like that for almost 10 years. So it's like, how, you know, how sustainable it and like right now, you look at the suicide rate for veterans, it's, it's stated at, at 20 a day. So 20 human beings are taking their lives every day in this country because they don't feel that there's any other option. And I, you know, I truly believe that people who end up taking their own lives don't really want to kill themselves, right? They want to stop suffering. They want to stop the suffering within themselves. So they feel that this is the only option that they have. And since coming home, I've, uh, in our platoon, we've lost two guys already. So I know, you know, it's very prevalent. I had a guy text me yesterday that, you know, one of his buddies went to a cemetery and shot himself in the chest. It's like, this is just not going to get better unless we're finding ways to address, you know, these moral conflicts of war. Because the the medication is going <clears> to <throat> subdue the anxiety right? and it's going to reduce the symptoms. Yes. But it's not getting to the source. Right. It's not the root cause. It's not the root right. cause. We have a we have a tendency here in this in 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 the west, I guess you could say, to treat the symptoms versus going towards the root cause, which is, you know, a huge problem because I'm a firm believer and I'm I'm sure you guys can get on board with this that there's the lessons are in the pain. You know, the lessons that we need to learn lie in the pain and we do everything that we can do to be comfortable and to not look at at that right we pack it away and i think you know not in all cases but in my case you know the medication was just masking it like like how can i not think about this anymore and that that's what the alcohol was doing that's what the drugs were doing you know they just put me in a different state that i didn't that i could just be and to do that i would have to you know essentially get blackout drunk you know, yeah, it, it's it's, it's shifting that 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 mindset of like the pain and the suffering is actually the healing, right? So, but this the same way you're gonna learn, you are learning in ultra running. Like, yeah, it's gonna be long. Like my legs are getting, but that's where you're that's where you're butting up against right. your belief system and and the mind that wants to be comfortable because right. it's gonna it, when it's tested, it's gonna fall on its default, right? Yep. So it's whatever it can do to be comfy and cozy and, and balanced and everything. So when you challenge that system, which we need to challenge it, right. But it's, how do we do that? And, and that's that space. It's, it's that space of not falling on default, but, but turning the pain and suffering into uh, a learning experience and being okay with that. So it's, so again, it's, it's not resisting it. It's embracing what's coming. And so in your situation with the alcohol and the drugs, it's, it's suppressing it right? and suppressing it and suppressing it. And that becomes the new norm and that's okay. You can still do right. all this stuff when deep down you probably are feeling that urge to dip your toes. Of course. I mean, there's side. that part of you, that soul part of you that is like, we're here to get to the other side of this dude. Like this right. is, this is what part of our karma, right? Right. And we're here to heal this. And you know, we take these drugs, like you were saying, like you guys were saying, to so that people don't have to suffer, right? Right. But unfortunately, what's happening is that the the root of what it all is, all that energy is still there, and that energy will not be suppressed. It will, in fact, fester. Yeah. And grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and um, in and that suffering, the pain, is the opportunity. Right. It's the gift 
to heal. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a gift at first, but no. Yeah. Oh my god, we have, uh, I've had a lot yeah. of gifts. I mean, I've had a lot of gifts. A lot it's of a, it's flipping your whole mindset yeah. upside down. It's turning we, it around. We have a uh, a saying in the in the meditation circles that I run in, and it's um, you know what you resist persists. So it's um, a, an really simple saying but you know you can apply it to so many different things in your life you know so whatever you're you're not ignoring essentially is just going to amp- be amplified and, and ramp up yeah. and continue to ramp up you're going to continue to go through these cycles you're going to continue to crash and burn like like i did that's what you know until i got to the point of you know i was you know suicidal su- like how am i going to do this like how am i going to take my own life and Thankfully, before that happened, I kind of made a deal with myself that like, okay, I'm going to exhaust all my resources that I have to try and just give 100% in trying the clinical routes, all the different things that the VA had to offer, um, you know, private sector, uh, meditation, all these different things. Like, I'm just going to give it all. And if none of that works, then that's the only option that, that I have then. So that's what kind of spurred my walk across the country where uh myself and another iraq war veteran we were both in the same boat and he just said you know would you mind if i came with you and i was like not at all and the whole idea was to walk from wisconsin to california to process and just be with ourselves and you know we made like a pact that you know we're not going to listen to music you know we're, we're gonna really kind of just be with ourselves to start processing. And, and as you know, the physical uh, aspect of it, you know, at the end of the day, you're just worn out. So you, there's no, like, there's no mental wall or and barrier or strength left to really hold this stuff down. So there's nothing else you can do but to, to really look at it. Yeah. And that, you know, we see that a lot in endurance sports is yeah. that we break down the body and then whatever the, that breaking down serves as the catalyst yeah. to show us what's inside, what needs, what's, what needs to be healed. So let's just get a reference on timeline here. So you come out of the military 2006. Correct. 2006. The first two years you like go to school, but right. you're already doing the medicating and the like, how yeah. am I even going to live here? This is yeah. crazy. And then it starts getting pretty bad. When does the what when does the walk start 2013 2013 so basically from 2006 till 2013 uh i was stuck in this cycle that's uh, a big span of time (laughs) yeah it was you know i would you know i would drop out of school um and you know just get like a landscaping job and then like pick myself up and then go back to school and like you know use my gi bill and um you know i I just could not, you know, get over the hump, I guess you could say, with it. So, you know, this continued and I would just, you know, I was quote unquote functional, right? So like I could go to go to work, I could do these things, yeah, I could do what was asked of me. Like you were good you were good right. enough. Right. And like I was going through the motions essentially. You know? And then there was there were times where I was just like I couldn't I couldn't participate in life and would just you know, be in my room for 48 hours and not come out, not talk to anyone. Relationships would disintegrate. Yeah. What was the community? What was the community like around you? What was your close community um, for those seven years? Yeah. I mean, it was really um, focused, focused around uh, bars and drinking. So it's like, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends had, you know, we had complimentary drinking habits and, and stuff like that. 
you know, when you're, you, when you go to a bar and everyone knows who you are, you know, that, that yeah, 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 I would feel, totally, yeah, right, totally. Yeah. You have friends there, but at the same time, it's like, before it's you drink, a it's bar, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, wait, like, you know, you have to take a step back. Like, yeah, wow. Like it's so cool. Like, the bartender knows me. Yeah. And I get me free drinks. drinks. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Because I give them all my money, you know? <laughs> right. So like, exactly. and I keep coming back. And I keep coming back. Because yeah. I don't want to live right. anymore. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure. Here's some shots. Line them up. I know. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. So when, tell me about the moment that the inspiration to walk across the country came in. Yeah. I mean, I was in, I was in my sister's apartment in Milwaukee and we were both kind of, uh, sitting there and just kind of like, she just came back. She was living in Los Angeles, uh, probably for around eight years and had just come back to Wisconsin. And I was out over at her house and I was like, I think I'm, you know, it just came to me that I needed to do something pretty drastic to get out of this cycle and out of this loop, which is, um, really difficult to do in today's world because we have so many responsibilities and there's so many things that we can distract ourselves with, whether it's our phones, TV, uh, internet. I mean, uh, you name it, you can just tune, tune out if you want, you know, you can sit there and, and, and flip through Netflix movies and not even pick one for three hours. Right. So it's like, you have all these distractions, you have all these things to make you comfortable and and feel comfortable in these situations and there's no motivation to change or grow or anything like that or at least there wasn't any in me so i knew that to do that i needed to get myself out of the comfort zone and get myself away from the things that i would easily distract myself with so the idea of walking was it would give me a long time period with the exercise to be able to start processing this stuff. And I can't tell you how many people um, told me and my buddy Anthony that we shouldn't walk, you know, like, why don't you ride a bike? Like, I'll take you on my motorcycle. What are you, you know, what are you guys doing? Like they just, it was yeah. the fast track though yeah, to get there. Exactly. Like, you don't it's want, the, you, the easy way. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why, why don't you just you drive? You just needed time <laughs> yeah, away yeah. from, you know, running errands and talking about summer vacation. Like you just needed a, like to get away from all that and be, I can totally understand I, that. I, just I can totally be get by it. Yourself. Everybody, it's about getting there the fastest. It's people are just conditioned, yeah. whatever it is to, the most efficient, fastest right. way to get to get wherever you're going, and it bypasses. Yeah, in their mind, they're like, "That sounds terrible. Right. Why would you do that to yourself?" Did so, you have any <laughs> grasp of how far this was when you were like, "Well, maybe we'll go to no, <laughs> no, not really." But I mean, again, it's like, could it be any worse than getting hit with yeah. grenade shrapnel? Right. You know, it can't be any worse than that. Right. And yeah, for both of us, like you know, we're both. Uh, Anthony has a couple deployments under his belt, and I he had a 12 month deployment under my belt. So I think mentally. We didn't care really because, I mean, in the military, you just have to grind stuff out always. So we have, you have that in you, instilled in you, and you can, you can access it um, because it's trained into you essentially. Um, so we were uh, pretty naive about the whole thing. And, you know, our training was very minimal, which made it even worse for us. <laughs> and <laughs> you your know. packs were like really like when yeah. i was watching the movie i'm like, like they have a wow. lot of stuff in those well, packs. yeah they were about 90 pounds when we left and uh day two they're about 60 so yeah, <laughs> like, like the first the there's first, a lot yeah. in there the first day i mean we literally were walking <laughs> like no one was going to support us like we had everything that we could possibly need for uh, a five-month track it's on still us a little bit in that survival and mode transition into winter time too so i mean we're we're full-on military mode like this is what we're going to need to yeah. accomplish it 
You guys were packing too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that too. So that added an, another uh, another flavor to the, the whole experience I as know. Well. I was like, oh my God, they're at the yeah, firing like, range. <laughs> like they're bringing guys... gum. Like I think they're still in survival mode. Yeah. But you checked with the states, which was... Oh, definitely. Like, because yeah. at first people watching that be like, well, wait a minute here. We're, yeah, we're not that Why that is, stupid, We're all hi- like, hikers <laughs> packing, packing yeah. heat. Well, yeah. It's, yeah that's just, it's just that mentality. Um, once you've been in those situations where you've had to use a weapon to defend yourself, it's like second nature. I remember there's a lot of veterans that just feel completely naked without a firearm because it's like what has saved their lives. And once you, you're like, okay, now I don't. You're vulnerable. Yeah, you're just like, I don't I don't have it. I don't have that. So you're really, you know, when you're going into unknown situations and unknown places, that was just kind of our mentality. And, you know, we never had to use them or anything like that. And they were in our bags most of the time. Um, but just knowing that we had them was kind of peace of mind in the mind state that we were at. So how did the processing go down? So that's the intention. And just moving the body is going to help you process. But right. like... How did that go down? Like, well, were there some pretty epic moments? They're or? like they're like stages. So like the the first stage I would say was the state of Wisconsin was just horrible because our training was basically non-existent. We did we did like Wisconsin was the training. Was the training. Um, yeah, Wisconsin was no. I mean, I would Iowa say well, yeah, I would say Colorado up uh, Wisconsin to Colorado was training and um getting our bodies into into proper shape which is um you know reflecting back is you know training is extremely important and uh, we just didn't do enough of it kind of a thing the first half was extremely grinding i remember the first day that we left and they kind of show this in the documentary is like Oh, it was like 95 degrees in in Wisconsin summer, so it was extremely humid as well. And I remember like four blocks in, I started getting blisters already. So like my heels just like disappeared. And, and we had to like, our goal is 20 miles a day. And every fifth day we would take off, you know, and that's how we planned the whole trek. And that's what we had. That's what kind of our, our path was. So I remember we made it maybe five blocks and we had to like peel off into a fire house where they gave us like ice water and like essentially like aid immediately. And then we like made it 10 miles the first day and we were so demoralized. We're like, Oh my God, what are we doing? And of course we like have this huge fundraiser we were doing. We we're doing an awareness campaign. It was, a you know, and we we're having a documentary made and we're like the day one, we we're just out of the gates, like destroyed. So, you know what? I want to back it up just a little bit sure. because you had, um, you know, an Emmy nominated, uh, filmmaker working on this film. How did you, wrangle up michael collins he he actually found us so we did a we did a little uh kickstarter to kind of cover our bills while we're gone or or just our expenses so we could actually do the trek and um he came across the kickstarter and he had just found out about the suicide problem in the in the veterans community so he was just shocked he's like i didn't he's like i had no idea um why aren't more people talking about this um, and it wasn't as high as it is now. I, right. And I, and I truly believe that, you know, this is, these stats are from 2014 from the VA. These, this is what's reported. So, you know, in my view, there could be, there could be, a, it could be a lot higher, um, because this is what's reported and this is what, you know, pe- some people don't report it as suicides. Um, so, you know, he was very, he was very stunned about the, just the whole deal and how, you know, this is not like a crisis in this country. 
um, and it's not really being talked about. And um, just within the, the veterans community, that's where it's really the awareness is about it and veteran family members. And, you know, that's the core group that's kind of um, taking this on. So he, he reached out and um, asked us if he's like, I think there's a story here and he'd potentially make a documentary out of it. And immediately, um, because we're, we're veterans and because we know that we're used as uh, uh, political props. A lot of the time, you know, a lot of people like to stand up veterans and and talk about how they want to support veterans and how they're patriotic. And then they go around, they, you know, and then they turn around and they try to cut GI Bill funding or, you know, whatever it is. So we're really cognizant of how people um, use veterans to, you know, promote themselves or whatever it is. So the immediately he's like, how about we have a call and we'll have a talk and immediately turn into us asking him, you know, like, what are your intention, <laughs> intentions with this? Because, like, we didn't know. We didn't know him, and we don't know how, you know, how you're going to edit us in mm-hmm. this film. So it was a real concern of ours. So we ended up, you know, talking talking with him, and he ended up coming out to Wisconsin to interview our us and our families just to make sure that, you know, as soon as the camera wasn't on, we weren't going to, like, freeze up and not say anything. And um, as soon as he did that, he said, you know, I'm... I think we're going to move forward with it. And we're like, cool. And like, here's our plan. And they really tried to come out. They would come out with us maybe 10 or 14 days at a time and then go back and interview our families and then go back to New York and then fly out and try to find us and uh, catch up with us and wherever we were. And, um, that's kind of how it, that's kind of how that started. So, um, so you get through day one, which is 10 miles and, um, but you still have a lot of road to go. So is it just a lot of silence? Is it emotion coming up? Like, you know, I really didn't know. Was there expectations that it would be, gosh, I thought I was going to clean all this up. Yeah. I didn't know really what to expect or like what I was supposed to do. You know, or like how it was supposed to happen. You just had a knowing. Right. I I just had an intention of like, okay, I need to work on this. I don't know how it's going to happen. Like, cause like I, like I was saying before from Wisconsin to Colorado was just like extreme pain. Like <laughs> the whole, the whole way. That's what you can take yeah. away from that. For those first, <laughs> yeah. few states. Like- first few states pain. <laughs> so yeah, that was a forecast for a lot of days. Um, you know, there are some days where, you know, we would get up out of the hotel room that we were in and walk a block and turn around and go back to the hotel room and just get ice and just start icing our feet and stuff like that. And there was a point I think they showed in the documentary too, where Anthony's half of his foot was a blister and he wears size 16 double E shoes. So, I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. So, uh, he's about six, four, um, you know, at that time he's, you know, probably over 300 pounds. So, um, yeah, we were just there to support each other through it. And, you know, I always say it's like if I would have done it by myself as I intended, I probably would not have finished it because it would probably would have been a lot easier for me to quit. But I think doing it as a team, you know, we were able to support each other through some really difficult, painful times. Um, yeah, through throughout that first part. Were there, were there how many moments did you want to quit? Were there any moments you were just just wanted to pack it in? Um, yeah, I mean, it really, <laughs> there, there, there's some times where, um, we just couldn't physically walk, you know, so like the we, physical was all yeah. way in the ment- the mental, like, yeah. cause you guys are trained to do this, to, 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 to gr- yeah, grit just, through it. Yeah. Just to grind it out. And, um, I think when, 
when we got to Colorado and that kind of flipped on us where like our bodies were like, now we need to move. Now we need to keep moving kind of a thing. Uh, I remember there was a time where like Anthony's like, ah, oh, I just want to, you know, be home. And at that time he had a two year old daughter and he has a family, you know, and he's just like, ah, oh, you know, I just like, I think I, he's like, I think I'm, I'm getting, um, what I need to get out of this. And, you know, it'd be nice to be, be home now. And I'm like, dude, we're in Colorado. Like we've got to keep going kind of a thing. And that's almost like a, it's like resistance in disguise because yeah. it's like the, the ego knows like, okay, he's on to something here. He's starting to right. feel like he's starting to move through this right. stuff. We got to get him out of here so we can stay in conflict. Yeah. And we had two very kind of different intentions, you know, going into this. And his was, I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband to my family. And how can I, how can I do that? How can I accomplish that? So that was his focus. And he felt like at that point he had come up with tools and ways. And at this, he was communicating with his wife the whole time about, you know, revelations that he was having and, you know, his behaviors from the past and why he felt like he was behaving the way that he was. And I was trying to process the death of my friends. Like, how did that, you know, how, how do I, pro you know, process that? So we're, we're, we're doing two different kind of work. Um, and he felt like he came to a conclusion way, fa you know, way faster than I did. Oh, I got you this. I got this right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, right. yeah, he's like, yeah, I think I know it and, and how I need to change my behavior to be a better person and a better dad. And so um, what made him keep going? I mean, I think it's just, you know, that the challenge of it and we're just like, you know, we said we we're going to do it. And, you know, that's a that's a good thing about like coming out in public and saying that you're going to be doing these things, because that, you know, when yeah. I, I I did that when I, you know, I'm going to be doing a, the Santa Barbara 100 in October and I went online. I'm like, I'm doing it, you know, because I know that like if I don't, that's the easy way out, you know, easy way for me out. But like. Now that I have people following me that are understanding, just like we did uh, on the trek, we had, I think, around 4,000 people that ended up, you know, following us on this journey um, that are supporting us, you know, that really helps you uh, put it into perspective. And for us, it wasn't just like, yeah, we're doing this for ourselves, but we also want to bring awareness to the issues that are facing the veteran community. And the way that we need to do that is to keep going and finish and and really interact with the people that are following us and really um, um, give them insight into what we're doing. And if we just cut it short, you know, we're cutting right. people short. And the collective that. intention was for the good of all. Totally. And, yeah. you know, that's a high-level perspective to be doing things for the good of all, which is going to, I think, fuel you a lot for yeah. the Santa Barbara 100 yeah, as we'll well. See. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see it's, it's scary to vocalize those things oh, yeah. sometimes. But but that's the very reason you need to is to, is to get that energy on board. Otherwise, you're, you're secretly saying internally, you're like, I'm going to do this or maybe I won't. And right. I don't tell too many people, it's okay if I do like 50 or 60 miles of it. Right. And then in, if I don't do it, that's okay too. Yeah. Right. Versus <laughs> yeah. let's get everybody on board. Like right. this, need, this is change. Right. This is where change happens. Yeah. Right. Right. Claim it. Claim it as your goal. So there's this really beautiful part in the movie where you're, are you meeting with a shaman? Is he a shaman? Wolfwalker. It's this beautiful moment where he kind of sits you guys down and he's like, you know, what's, 
what's the most painful moment? Right. And really starts to go deep and really gives you permission. Like it almost like lifts this weight off of you. Like it's, it's okay to have had these experiences, but now let's start healing what it is. And and he shared in, actually heard this on, on the podcast with Mike, this amazing story about the Buffalo. Oh yeah. And I don't think that's in the movie. No, no, no. That's something I, uh, Wolf Walker kind of told me afterwards. And, and yeah, I just want to, uh, address what you what you said when he asked us that question um for us i think that was the first time that anyone had ever really asked us what happened during war and i think that's something people avoid really avoid but he just you know he like went right you know head first into it he's like what is your traumatic events like tell me them and he's like i want to i want to know you know what what you experienced and i think that in itself kind of took us back. We're like, wow, like, okay, like this is new. Um, someone's actually want it, wants to know what, what goes on in, in combat or what we experienced in combat. So that was a really powerful moment uh, for us. And, and um, you know, kind of fast forward, we, we, we still stay in contact, Wolf Walker and I, and we, we talk every once in a while. And he, he told me the story of the buffalo and he said a lot of Native American traditions are from observing nature. Um, he's like, that's how, they, that's how we learn to live. So we, we observe, you know, how animals live. And then we take what, you know, serves us. And that's how we live too. So he said the story of the buffalo is, is when a, a herd of buffalo is threatened, um, they form a circle. And the circle kind of goes like this. The outer rim of the circle are the young fighting aged males or the best fighters. And then behind them are the older males. And then behind them are the elderly. And then in the middle are the women. And uh, I'm saying women and child buffalo, but you, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. So the, the young buffalo and the, and the female, the female buffaloes. So he says, when the threat has passed um, and either the enemy leaves or it's neutralized or whatever, he said, the circle flips. So all the fight people in the fighting come to the middle and the rest of the community surrounds them so they can heal. And, um, you know, and he says in our society, the circle doesn't flip. So that's a, a really uh, powerful way of, of describing, you know, some of the, the shortcomings that, that we have here when we're welcoming home uh, the people that are fighting on our behalf. We, yeah, we want to welcome them home and we want to support them, but we don't want to hear Right. The details. Right. So for you, what was the memory that haunted you? There's plenty, but um, the one I was referring to was the, the, the death of um, our, my uh, platoon sergeant and, and our, our squad leader. And, uh, you know, just to have someone ripped out of your life instantly um, and see it and uh, see them go, see them pass, and see their body, and, you know, try to process that they're not there, you know, anymore. And it's like, you, you, you can understand that, you know, when someone dies naturally, but when it's in a, in a, in a combat situation, it's, um, you know, it's on you, really. You can know, you share you, what happened to him? Uh, he was uh, shot in the head during a ambush. So, you know, this is something that happens quite regularly there where an ambush happens where we'll get hit with a roadside bomb improvised explosive device and then we'll get ambushed from rooftops and you know it's all guerrilla tactics so they don't stay and fight against us because when they do 
you know, they end up getting killed. So they try to create as much damage as possible in the shortest amount of time. And that's one way they can do it with the roadside bombs, improvised explosive devices, and then they on the rooftops and just shoot down on us briefly and then get out of there. So that's what ended up happening. And, uh, you know, for us, it was within a couple months of losing our platoon sergeant. So it was very, uh, you know, within a couple months, we had lost our, our second guy in our platoon. So, you know, to see that happen uh, is, is uh, extremely Im- impactful. You know, you see, you see leadership, one of your, one of your leaders um, that's supporting you, supporting young soldiers, um, you know, with a hole in the side of his head is, you know, something that I, I'll never, you know, forget. And that would be with me, you know, the rest of my life. The whole idea that Wolfwalker kind of goes on in, in the documentary is that no one outside of you is going to heal you for you. So like no one exists outside of you that's going to come up and bop you on the head and be like, you're better. Right. And to hear that, to hear that you're responsible for your own healing and that you need to take the steps um, and you need to be in it 100 percent was kind of a wake up call for for me. And I'm sure it was for Anthony as well to be able to um, realize that, you know, if your family wants you to go to therapy and you're going to therapy for your family and not for you, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> you know, it's not going to, it's not, you're, you're not going to do the work. Yeah. You're not going to do the work. You're not going to get the results you want because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it to appease someone else that cares about you. So you want to maintain that relationship and you want to, you know, okay, I'll go for you, you know, because you want me to. And then your family members like, great, he's going to therapy and, you know, it ends up being, no, I don't like it or, you know, whatever happens, I'm not going anymore. Or your distaste grows stronger. Yeah. We hear, we hear that a lot. You know, people say, oh, I really, I really wish my wife would work with you, you know, in meditation or whatever. And I'm like, you know, when, when she's ready and only when she's ready, because there's people who are ready that I need to work, that I need to work with, that I need to share the wisdom that I've gained through my own work with them because if you're not ready yeah it's a disservice to those who are yeah yeah and watching each other suffer and taking that step back and just letting them yeah have their experience and when they are ready right i'm talking firsthand experience like when i'm ready i'll and it'll and it'll be ingrained it'll be the time it'll be it'll be aligned it'll be everything that i stand for it can be life-changing at that moment you'll be all in i have i have a lot of spouses and family members that will reach out to me and they'll be like, you know, what can I do for? And I'm like, there's not much you can do. You know, you can come with resources and be prepared with resources, but like you can't force anyone to go see anyone and you can't force someone to heal themselves. So when Wolfwalker's talking about it, it's like the responsibility falls on you 100%. That was kind of revelation for me because it was like, wow, I just wasn't I wasn't taking responsibility for it. Like I knew that I needed to get better, but you know, the first time I ever went to therapy it was because my sister found a therapist for me and I went because she wanted me to go. And I said I would if she found an Iraq war veteran who was a therapist. And that was my stipulation. Like the only person I'm going to talk to is someone who's been deployed, right? Because I have to have someone that I have that connection with. So she went through all this work and did it and found someone. So I'm like, fine, I'll go, you know, and that's what, started this clinical route, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to get better. I was doing it to, uh, you know, 
for my family. So sitting down with, with Wolf Walker and just hearing um, that was kind of a wake up call where it's just like, yeah, you know, you have to, you have to own it. You have to own your own trauma. You have to own the experiences and be like, how do they impact me? How am I going to move through this? And, you know, what tools and resources do I have around me? And you have to exhaust all options. Not, not everything's going to work for everyone. So, you know, yoga and meditation might not be, might not be for everyone, but, um, you know, same with talk therapy and traditional therapies, you know, some people might gravitate more towards yoga and meditation. Some people might, you know, enjoy that, you know, sitting with a clinician and being able to talk with someone, a third party, um, like that. So, I mean, that was our first kind of, uh, real, I think, shift throughout, through you the track. You could just feel time stop in that moment. Yeah. Everything just slowed down yeah. and you could feel the, so, you know, the, the filmmaker just captured that so perfectly. So if that was, um, and maybe it was, but if it wasn't the most potent moment on the, on the track, what was, um, well, you know, fortunately I, I, there was a lot of, there were a lot of teachers along the way. Um, and the other one was sitting with father Thomas Keating, um, who, who just recently, recently passed. I believe he was like 96 years old and, um, ended up, uh, being a very prominent figure in the, uh, centering prayer movement, which is more of a, a Catholic or, or Western form of meditation sitting with him. Uh, was another one, I think, you know, in the beginning of the documentary, it shows me sitting with him and kind of talking back and forth with him about um, my experiences. So, uh, you know, that was another powerful experience because he talked a lot about forgiveness, um, which is, you know, uh, a really hard topic to talk about with, you know, someone who has a lot of traumatic events in their life. But his whole thing was, can I forgive myself? for what I experienced. And he says in the, in the documentary, he says the implication is then can he forgive God for what has happened to him? So when sitting across from him and hearing him, you know, say that was just kind of, my mind was like, you know, like, wow, like, can I even forgive myself for what I participated in, what I saw, um, what happened, um, the death of my friends, you know, just even, even thinking about that, that stuff is extremely, extremely powerful. And can you forgive the energy, the source that brought you there? Right. Yeah. Which is, that's the route. <laughs> right. That's the freedom. And I think, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get talked about enough, the, the power of forgiveness and, uh, how really for, forgiving isn't, isn't really a sign of weakness as a sign of strength, because what you're doing is you're ending it. You know, you're not, you're not letting your mind drag these things out and drag them down the road for years and years and years and years. You're saying, you know what, this is, I'm done with this. You know, like I forgive, I forgive myself. I forgive you, you know, and then you rise, you, you end up rising above that and moving forward with your life. But in that point between saying, I forgive you and rising above it, there's yeah. a lot of muck. Oh, totally. It's so, not as <laughs> easy, easier said than yeah. done, right? Um, so how do you navigate that <laughs> yeah, muck? Because I, we've had questions yeah. on this podcast about forgiveness before. Yeah. And 
you know, I believe that forgiveness is not about the past. It's about being, it's about the future. Yeah, it's about being totally. able to move into the future. So yeah, freely. for you, yeah, freely. yeah, freely. And so for you, how do you, how do you navigate that muck between saying it and rising above it? Because think, it's like the forgiveness then becomes the embodiment right? and that's the rising above. Right. So I think that, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier is like, that's where the work lies. You know, that's where that muck is, right? So that's where that's it's like... That's why you got to be ready. Yeah, because it's like, okay, like, I want to forgive this person, but really it's, you know, I need to let go of this for me because it's unhealthy. You know, they say, you know, harboring anger in yourself is is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. You know, so it's very, very detrimental to your own system. And that's your way out is forgiveness, right? So it's like seeing how someone else's actions impacted you and how can I as a person let that go and learn from it and become a better person from it, right? Instead of, you know, laser point focus on that person, what they did to me, how it, how it hurt my feelings or, you know, what it is. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that we have control over in our lives is our emotions and how we handle it and how we interact with people and the words that come out of our mouth. It's difficult. It's not where that. Does, where does present moment awareness come in in that muck? That's where the medi- you know meditation and yoga really bring you back to that. Yeah, because without the my... presence, you can't even see that you're starting to spiral back into the unforgiveness. Right. right. Exactly. For me, you know, meditation and yoga. Ha- you know, the physical practice of yoga has really you know has kind of a twofold. Um, it really allows me to be able to release a lot of these, um, the stress and traumas of, of my past. But at, and at the same time, it brings me back into my body, into my present moment. Because a lot of, you know, after I got out of the military, you know, I gained a lot of weight because I, I kind of disassociated myself from my body and really didn't understand, you know, how food was impacting me, how alcohol was impacting me, all these different things. And then when, you know, fast forward, to maybe maybe five years ago when I started practicing, I could finally, you know, my sensitivity went up enough to where I could be like, wow, th- I, this food doesn't agree with me or, you know, drinking doesn't agree with me and this makes me feel terrible um, more than the memories or more than, you know, the stuff that I need to work on. So there's a lot of value, I think, in it um, uh, other than just, you know, exercise, which I think people are just like, yeah, it's a good workout. But like, you know, from a spiritual practice standpoint and from moving through trauma and through moving through stress in your life, uh, it's extremely valuable. And when does meditation come in for you? Uh, I, we actually learned to meditate in Colorado. Um, we, he, uh, it didn't make the documentary, the, uh, the, the, the scene, but, uh, we learned uh, just a mantra-based meditation in in Colorado. Michael, the uh, director, ended up hooking us up with a teacher who's like, hey, do you guys want to learn how to meditate? And uh, we're like, yeah, sure. You know, why not? We're kind of game for anything Now, had that you point. heard that other vets had been meditating or was it still like, since 2013, I mean, nah. I feel like the, it's, we're starting to crack open the lid on it. Yeah, a little bit. People not- like you and Mike are really mo- making the movement happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes and no. Like, I, I think it started getting introduced in VAs, at least the physical practice of yoga. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, it just wasn't really on my radar. Yeah. You know, you hear about it and you're like, yeah, you just don't understand. Um, 
don't it's, understand what it is. Right. It, or why it, you should be. Or why. Why, yeah. It's very experiential. So And that you don't have to change your life to do it. Right. But it but it may just change your life. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, there there's it, there's so many benefits to it that um um you know, I think you have to have a, a foundation of, of what it is and understand, you know, what it is and where it comes from and you know how it impacts your life. Cause I think a lot of people do yoga or meditation for the first time and a lot of stuff comes up for them and they're like, this is yoga's fault. Like, I don't like this because it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go home and take an ambulance. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I'm going to see you at the bar. Like, see you guys later. You know, this is what works for me kind of a thing. So it's like, there is something to it to where you have to be able to be in a place where you want to do the work uh, around it because yeah, I mean, stuff comes up and, and stuff comes up and comes out. And again, in, in our, in the, the meditation groups that I, that I work with, it's like stuff comes up to come out and it's like, you know, when these traumatic events happen to us, they don't feel good, you know, when they happen to us. So sometimes when, you know, the body holds on to them and they actually end up releasing, they don't feel good coming out either. So, you know, when you, when you're experiencing yoga and meditation and you're like, oh, I had a bad yoga class or I had a bad meditation session, you should be grateful because that's the stuff, that's the garbage, you know, and unfortunately, I'm sure you guys know this as teachers that, you know, that blame gets pointed at you. Like this person's doing this to me, you know, like, ah, this teacher, I don't like them. But like, really you have to have the awareness of like, okay, where is this coming from? Or that they're the best (laughs) yoga teacher. As As an aspiring yoga teacher, because I know you're going to yoga teacher training. um, This is what I've said to my class many, many times. And sometimes I get, I've, I've gotten some really bad looks, um, is I take no responsibility for your experience in this class. I don't take any responsibility for the good, the good (laughs) classes or the bad classes. You're creating all of those. You keep your stuff over there. Yeah. (laughs) And some people are like, I can't, because you know, they're used to like a yoga teacher saying, right. You know, whatever, whatever the yoga teacher says. Here's the script, right? And you're going to go one through 10 and this is everything. Yeah. I was like, I take no responsibility for these good or bad classes. But when you give them the choice, right. Yeah. Put it on them. You find a lot of times they don't, they don't, they they have they're great grateful that they can choose but they don't choose yeah they, yeah but it's it's again it's a, it's going back to what we talked about at the beginning it's like the traumatic event the yoga the meditation it's the catalyst to mm-hmm. start to open up that vault so you get introduced to meditation on the track but then when does it become a practice for you when when do you start to be like okay right so I did a um, we ended up finishing the track in Santa Monica at the San Monica Pier. And the last day I met uh, another meditation teacher who was teaching a breath-based meditation technique that was complementary to the mantra-based meditation technique that we learned. together for Yeah, so I was like, okay, like, you know. buy into this. Yeah, so uh, I I went out to a retreat in Aspen and uh, learned, uh, it's called Sudarshan Kriya Yoga. And it's a breath-based meditation you learn uh, pranayama sequence that goes before it and then there's the sudarshan kriya and then you add in your meditation at the end and i had uh, such a transformative ex- experience doing that that um, as soon as i went through that retreat that was my new standard when i came out of that retreat because that, that was the first time they're like you're gonna come in you're gonna have a vegetarian diet for the five days that you're here there's no alcohol recreational drugs Um, and it's really, we like, we want to give your system a rest and we just did so much breathing, so much breath work and pranayamas and meditation and light yoga and 
you know, that was the first time I understood putting putting the puzzle pieces together, right? So we do the physical practice of yoga to prepare our bodies to sit for meditation. And I experienced all that. And then when I came out the other end, I was like, this is my new standard. Like, I feel good. Like for the first time in, I don't know how many, you know, 12, 13 years. So I'm like, this is it. They're like, this is whatever. And then I made like kind of a pact again with myself. I'm like, whatever takes me away from this feeling doesn't have space in my life anymore. So, you know, that, that has to go with, relationships and you know alcohol and meat and you know all the other things and I, I'll give a little story when I came back I had um, I got back from the retreat and I had a glass of red wine and, and a steak you know because I was like celebrating and that was a terrible terrible idea and I, you feel sick? Oh, I felt just terrible from from both things and I could like feel my heartbeat in my forehead and I was just like oh I felt sick and I'm just like okay so like I'm gonna transition off this so, That's what happens when like you start to purify, yeah. which is really yeah. the yoga and the meditation is purifying you. And it's funny because I went a, a long time without without red wine and then um because that was my drink of choice and um and sometimes like we'll have we'll have some at the house and sometimes i'll pour it and you know have have a taste of it i'm like oh that's as delicious as i remembered you know and i might have a glass and sometimes i can smell it and it Mm -hmm. smells like poison yeah there's a great book called alcohol lied to me Mm. And it's just a, it's this, this guy's take on his experience. And he was very much like the, you know, nose in the, in the glass and, you know, being revered at restaurants because he would order $500 bottles of wine and blah, blah, blah. And he realizes that, that it's just this billion dollar industry where they're pushing the, you know, the byproduct of rotting fruit on everybody and that it's actually a poison. Right. And it's, it's, and I listened to it and it just kind of gave, gave you this new perspective. But, and his whole thing is like, until you change your belief system that it's helping you, that right. you're enjoying it, then you're not going to be able to move away from right. it. Yeah. You and, can't be in deprivation of it when you want it. And at the end of the day, we have, just have to be honest about what it is. And it's a depressant. I mean, it, it does that not. That's like the last thing <laughs> you needed. Right. You know, so you throw that as like throwing gas on the fire, right? Yeah. So it's like, you're already, you're already in a depressed state. You're already in this space where you, you know, you don't want to participate in life. And now you're drinking alcohol on top of that. And the, you know, coming out the other end, you're like, feel even, even worse. So, um, you know, there's at that point, there was no kind of no turning back for me, um, with, this, this kind of lifestyle and, and really, um, how, and it wasn't, you know, there was no like moral justifications behind it. It was just really, I mean, kind of selfish where it's just like, I feel good. Like, and I don't want to, like, I want to feel this way, you know, on a regular basis. And I knew that by incorporating these practices into my life, um, making them a priority in my life. And I think that was the most important shift that I did was that like, okay, my life is going to rotate around these practices versus, this practice is going to be a, an external thing that I'm going to do occasionally. It's not the add-on. Right. Versus like, okay, like this is a priority. This needs to happen before anything else happens in my day. Right. And if like, and I, you know, I struggled a lot in the beginning that, you know, I'd meditate and do my practice and, um, be good for like three or four days in a row. And then I wouldn't do it for like a week. And then I'd be like, Oh, I got to get back on to, you know, and you, you know, get back onto it. It's just, it's a process like that. So at the end of the, the meditation retreat, they really, they put a challenge out there. They're like, you know, do it 40 days in a row. 
You know, that's how you develop a habit. You do it for 40 days in a row. It becomes a habit in your life. And, um, you know, my whole thing is like, okay, 40 days in a row. And if you miss a day, you start at one. <laughs> so like, that's, like you know, that. that's where you go. It's like, okay, you can miss a day, but you're starting that 40 day cycle over again. So, you know, you try to make it as far into it, but you just have to be persistent. And if you miss a day, you miss a day and you just have to accept that and continue on it. But like, you look at it as, you know, some people might think that that's pretty hardcore, but like at the end of the day, you're still practicing, you know, you're still, you know, kicking the can down the road. You're still um, trying to do better and trying to incorporate it into your life. So it was, uh, it was a really positive experience for me. I think at the beginning too, it needs to um, be the, uh, the first thing you do Yeah. every morning, yeah. first thing you do. And yeah. so, and, and whatever that it, whatever that looks like for the person. And I remember that those first couple of years where I would have that conversation of like, Oh, just get to what you need to do. And I, and I would have this voice in my head goes, you can't trust your, you're not trustworthy yet. Right. Get, get to that cushion. Right. There's a, and now it's a non-negotiable. Right. It's I'm totally going to misquote who said probably Gandhi. Um, but he's like, Oh my God, I have so much to do today. I better meditate for two hours, you know? So (laughs) it's just like, you know, but like what ends up happening is, you know, the clarity of mind, (laughs) (laughs) the clarity of mind goes up that you become more productive and more efficient in what you're doing anyways. Um, so by taking that hour in the morning to knock out a meditation, you become more productive during the day versus getting up and stumbling into a groggy day and you're, you know, it, 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 it can be, um, challenging that way. So I'm the same way. So, you know, I get up in the morning and do my, you know, pranayamas and do some light yoga and then meditate. And then that's when I start my day. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing recipe. So now you've been, I don't even know what year it is. So it's 2019. You've been yeah. meditating for how long now? When was this, think, when was this um, retreat? That was in 2014. Wow. Yeah. So coming up on five years, Good. I think so April. Can, so yeah, I've been... You've got uh, some street cred. Then meat-free and... Uh, and not just the veganism, like not veganism, but the, the vegan or the plant-based just came along with, yeah, you're was, like, uh, I feel really good. Yeah, that it's just uh, it's just complimentary to yeah. everything that I do. And and the, you know, it just my my energy levels are a lot higher. My, you know, digestion is a lot, lot better. All the, you know, all the health benefits that come with it too. But really I'm, I'm doing it for my, you know, spiritual meditation practices because um, they, it just, uh, you know, I found that it helped it uh, a lot and helped me move forward in it a lot. And that's going to help fuel your ultra running adventures. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. Okay. So, so meditation, mindfulness, yeah. plant-based step up from the walking. So and yeah. we, we were chatting on the phone. I'm like, so what have you done before? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> I haven't done an ultra before. Right. So, okay. We know you can, we know you can survive war. Right. We know that you can walk across the country. Yes. I think we know you can do a hundred mile race, but when now does this inspiration come in? So, when does this drop down from that eighth right. chakra? So from our uh, 
I don't know, our, our discussions going on. I'm not, I, maybe I'm just a little crazy, but um, you have been doing a lot of podcasts lately. So <laughs> yeah. That's a good problem to have. Your story's getting out there. Yeah, no. What I really think is like you know, kind of I talked about before disassociating with my body, and I think that there's my process has been that I needed to get my mental state into a stable place of where I could be good in myself, right? And I did that through, you know, the process of walking across the country through this meditation practice. And now uh, I feel that um, I'm in a place of where I'm like, okay, like, let's, let's take this uh, for a test drive. Let's see what I can do, what I can accomplish. Because I know mentally, because of war and because of walking across the country and the things that I've done, like I can, I can do, you know, kind of extreme distances. You can and, endure. Exactly. So, right? but as we know, like the path of yoga is not about enduring. Right. So it's like a, that's the balance of it, right? So it's. Um, oh, you're gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> I will. We'll see. Um, <laughs> we created we'll see a whole much. business around yeah. this idea of bringing this mind, this yeah. meditative mind to high-level endurance yeah. sports. So when, just like when I, when I said I was going to walk uh, across the country, I like to um, set goals that make me extremely uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's next uh, after doing this? Because I felt like um, because of my, my practices and because of the work that I was doing on myself and... Uh, wanting to get better and improving relationships in my life and like kind of just getting my life back on track. I'm like, okay, well, what is the next thing that I can do to really um, kind of take it to the next level and see what I can do? And, you know, this is this is something that, that kind of came up and it's something that, you know, in the military, or for, like, it's, it's forced running. You know, you get up at 5 a.m. and it's like, guess what? We're going a seven-mile run today. And we're like, oh, God, okay. And you just grind it out. Here, I'm like, okay, I already have in my head, like, I don't like running uh, because of my military experience. And, um, you know, I talked to Mike Ergo about this. And, you know, like, running doesn't have to be shitty. Like, when right, you're... It's just a belief system. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, so I knew that... Um, I didn't want to do like just a road marathon and stuff like that. I just like, you know, road running for me, I just like mind numbing for me. So like, I, I love being in nature and I love, uh, moving in nature. So that's where, you know, trail running for me came in. And as soon as, um, I, I got out here to California, um, and that was accessible to me and the weather was allowing me to do this year round. I was like, oh, it's on. Like I'm doing it. Oh my God, I can it. so resonate with, I can so resonate <laughs> Because, you know, with that. yeah, coming from, coming from Wisconsin, it's like, you know, when summer, when winter rolls around, you know, you, you don't have too many options because it's so brutal. Don't they have a winter ultra race in Wisconsin? Like a crazy... That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I know. Isn't there... We, we're here Living here, like living in ideal conditions yeah. does make you a little bit Goggins, soft. I think Goggins did it. Oh, I'm sure. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, so it's at the end of October. Mm -hmm. You've got this hundred, and um, yeah, I'm registered. So, so like, that was yeah. the first step. I'm like, I have to register. Like, yeah, do it. Like, sign up for it. So, how do you? I mean, how do you? How do you feel about it? How do you feel about it right now? I feel I'm I'm actually really excited about it, and it's like one of those things where I'm actually putting in the effort and putting in the work. And I, I think since starting training last year, 
Um, I've lost about 30 pounds and I'm really getting myself into a position, I think of, of where it's not only like if I, if I finish the race or, or, you know, how I accomplish that, but I think I'm setting myself up for, you know, a healthy future, which is really also important is to incorporate not only the meditation and yoga, but exercise uh, regimen into my life and to be able to have the freedom to be able to run on trails and, and be out in nature. And, and I'm lucky enough to be uh, close to these, these mountains here in Ventura just to be able to get up into them and, and um, you know, burn off some, you know, the day's stress and, and exercise and just kind of feel uh, my body, you know, under stress and being like, how can I, you know, make this body better and how can I continue to do this for a long period of time throughout the future? Um, is exciting. It's exciting for me. So, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. My goal right now is just to finish. And, um, once I, I think once I get one under my belt, then I can start fine tuning and, and really seeing, uh, where I can take it. Nice. <laughs> Let us know how we can support you sure. at all. Like even if you need a, I'm, I'm volunteering you BJ, if you need somebody to bounce some stuff Absolutely. off of. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Nutrition. Yeah, totally. Yeah, As you I'm go sure. longer and longer, I don't know what, how long you're going now, but I'm yeah, assuming not, it's just going to go. What are you, what are uh, you using for, uh, for like nutrition oh, yeah. and stuff to fuel yourself for these training runs and stuff? Um, as far as, you know, food goes, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really, um, been playing around with with too much but my my i like to say like i eat kind of like a monk you know i eat a lot of uh you know vegetables and stir fries and you know stuff like that to uh um you know during recovery and lentils and beans and and, and a lot of stuff like that but i haven't i haven't gone into too too much uh intensity on on long runs yet i'd like to you know get a run analysis done on my gate and uh, make sure that i can i can do long runs and, and stay healthy. I think that's the point where I'm at right now, um, where I've last year, I was able to drop a lot of weight and now I want to be able to, um, you know, start completing some really long training runs, which is, uh, coming up in, you know, in the next couple of months is where I'm going to really start just, getting after it. Just increase slowly. Yeah. You know, and recover well. Right. And you're going to, you're I, already eating an anti-inflammatory diet. Right. Which and, is and you know what? I love, sleeping so it's like not that's like I my main sleeping. yeah that's like my main my main <laughs> focus i'm like how much can i sleep today is really the question is like i meditate in the morning i'm like thinking about sleeping at night like in between like whatever happens is great you know so <laughs> you're gonna fit so perfectly in the in the ultra running endurance <laughs> world yeah that's so, so good for you sweet. man that's yeah. really cool it's Thank so you. exciting so you've been your your mission is uh not only to to finish this, the Santa Barbara 100, which you will absolutely do. I mean, I've, I've already seen you cross the finish line. Um, you are spreading this message and and getting it out, like the, the meditation and the breathing yeah. and the pranayama, and you're teaching this, So, and you're speaking, and you're mm -hmm. doing podcasts. And so what is that all looking like in your yeah. life right now? Cause so you, you've, you have this life, you grow up, you, you go to the military, you come back, you're like, Oh, I guess I'll get a degree. And then you're like blacked out drunk for. Yeah. A, a don't, good, don't get a degree. Yeah. Good good amount amount of, of, never oh, I, I never got yeah. one either. Um, get for a good amount of years. I mean, the biggest pain and mm -hmm. trauma and the hugest mountain that you've had to climb now becomes, it gives you entry into this beautiful new life. Right. 
where you can serve others. Yeah. And I think that's what it really comes down to it. Because at the core of everything in my upbringing, I mean, my parents um, at the core is service. So my, you know, my mom is a, a retired teacher. My dad's a retired social worker, social worker, you know, worked with juvenile children. Um, so like our, my whole upbringing was, you know, that's why we're here. You know, we're really here to help each other and to help people who can't, um, help, help themselves or, or, um, people who, you know, don't have the right support systems and, and really, um, you know, giving, giving of yourself as much as, as much as possible. Like, and, you know, there's a balance to that, you know, not to your own detriment, but, you know, it's really taking care of yourself, but at the same time, um, helping, uh, as many people as you can. And I think I'm, I'm really blessed in the sense that I've had these experiences that a lot of people have experienced that are just stuck right now. And, uh, I found one way through, and, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that my story, you know, is the story. It's one story and, and one way that, you know, people might find, uh, um, you know, maybe hope and healing through my experience that they can, you know, you know, kind of cherry pick little pieces out of it that, you know, they might be able to try or implement into their life that help them, you know, get down the road at least. And, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, I, it just came to me this, um, you know, beautiful saying of, of, you know, what is spirituality? And I, and I'm just, you know, ripping this off of, off the internet, obviously. So like it was a, a Swami that said this, but, you know, the definition, he said, the simplest definition of spirituality is, you know, when I close my eyes, there's peace within. And when I open my eyes, it's how can I serve? So he's like, at that, that's the definition of spirituality. And then he goes on to say, you know, today, in today's world, there's, you close your eyes, there's, you know, disharmony within, we don't want to be with ourselves. And then we open our eyes, it's like, how can, what can I get from this person? Or how can they help me? Mm. Or, you know, so it's like, we have it again, it's again, it's flipped. So yeah, the circle is yep. not, yeah. <laughs> so. And it's, in order to truly serve others, we need to have that peace inside. Totally. We need, we need to clean up our inner house first. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of that, oh, that that huge. needs to happen first before you're able to even uh, begin to serve other people. Because if you're doing it that the, the way that, you know, it's like a shortcut, if you're, it's doing a, it's a disservice to you and a disservice to other people, if you're not able to be there 100% present showing up for people, um, when you're, you know, there to helping, helping people, it's, it's, it's a disservice. And just the way that we're wired as humans and how we deny and we project, we're really kind of projecting our brokenness or our, yeah. I, don't, I don't like to use that word because I know underneath there's that perfection, but that, um, that, um, that pain, we're projecting it onto other sure. people in this way that we, our intention is that we're helping, but in fact, we really need to look in first. Yeah. So how can people support you by watching the movie? You guys yeah. have to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it will give you some incredible insight. Don't be fearful of it because of what I said. I mean, it's a really impactful, beautiful yeah. movie that gave me a perspective I didn't have before. Yeah, Michael did a, a brilliant job and and he was nominated for an Emmy uh, last year. It was on PBS and, and that's how he got an Emmy nomination for it. And uh, right now it's out on iTunes and Amazon. You can rent it. Uh, there it's like a couple bucks it's like three bucks four bucks something like that yeah it'd be great if you can if you rent it uh go back and 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 kind of do a reflection piece on the comment section um because right now that's where a lot of people go to you know check it out oh you can, cool we'll do that yeah so you can rate yeah. it 
you can rate it and, um, you know, just be, you know, I'm not saying five stars or whatever, but like five stars, five people stars or no. else, <laughs> <laughs> but really the, the comment section is a really good, good place for people to go and, and reflect on what they've learned. And, you know, maybe some insights that they they've taken from the film that maybe they didn't know before or, or something like that. And that's where people will see it and read it. And, you know, that's where people can actually have an impact, um, uh, when it comes to, uh, learning. And how can people connect with you? Mainly, I think I'm I'm mainly on uh, Instagram at the Meditating Vet, um, Facebook as well. You can find me on there. And TheMeditatingVet.com. MeditatingVet.com. Um, if you, yeah, but I think the easiest way is uh, either through yeah Instagram or Facebook. You can you can find me there pretty easily. All right, cool. We're gonna put all that stuff in the show notes. We'll put a link to be able to rent, rent the almost movie. sunrise. Cool. Leave comments. Yeah. We'll, we'll, Leave comments. We'll five stars or else. <laughs> all right. I know you got a yoga class to go to, my friend. Yeah. Thank all you good. so much. No problem. So great. Thanks for coming. Thanks.